0: I I had some bones that were not quite healed in my back separate on the cross, in the middle of the cross country course at Lululean. And so I had no, 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 I had no power on my left side. I couldn't use the rein. I couldn't, I could keep my foot in the stirrup, but I couldn't kick or use my leg at all. And, and, and I felt Greg go, are you okay up there? And I'm like, you got to do the rest of this yourself, buddy. And this is a world championship course long format where you're car- I was carrying um, 20, 20 pounds of lead and Gray was carrying 20 pounds of lead and uh, in the last, next to the last fence was the water complex and one rider had already died there.
1: Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans, by eventing fans.
2: And as usual, we like to thank our sponsor, Cowboy Magic. Karen, what are we highlighting this week?
1: This week, we have the Cowboy Magic Detangler and Shine. So it detangles all types of hair knots, tangles, and dreadlocks instantly, no matter how difficult hair is to manage. The silk protein in Cowboy Magic Detangler and Shine results in a high-reflecting shine after brushing. And... It works on humans too.
2: Well when I when my mullet gets all tangled up, Karen. <laughs> yeah, you need and it. It gets knotty, that's what I use. Yeah. This is my secret. <laughs>
1: this is my
2: secret to my anti tangled mullet. So but in, in all seriousness though, it is it is fantastic stuff. So thank you mm-hmm. so much, Cowboy Magic. Get that detangler. You know what it's like, you pull that horse out of the field and they're all tangled up and you don't have any time for yeah. that you. Oh yeah. So let's uh get some cowboy magic, detangler and shine and get to work. So thanks a lot of cowboy magic. I'm Rob.
1: And I'm Karen. And Rob's super excited about today's show.
2: Legendary show in the making, Karen.
1: Legendary. One of the reasons why I actually fell in love with you, e. want to welcome to the show, Kim Walness.
0: Kim, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's, I'm delighted to be here.
1: Oh, we're so happy to have you. So we can see you, but where exactly are you coming to us from?
0: Uh, from um Town, Pennsylvania. Oh. It's near Allentown.
1: Oh, you're right. not too
0: far yeah, you're away. Not
1: too far from us. Actually, Where are you? Well, we're well, in Northeast Maryland,
2: but we're both oh, we're both oh, from Delaware that's... County, PA. So,
0: yeah, no, that's not far. No, yeah, not too so not too far.
2: We're, we're like, I mean, I, I consider I don't know that Quaker Town. I don't consider too far because we're both from PA and we migrated to Maryland. But so I think, oh yeah, that's home. <laughs> 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 Even though I don't think I've ever been to Quaker Town, but.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I still don't think it's. Far. It's it's not a tourist spot by any means. <laughs> although I hear, it, although I hear the antiquing is good here, but that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not that's not my forte. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Kim, one thing that we love to do is we love to go back and hear your story. So, can you take us back and tell us how you got your start in writing and then into eventing?
0: Sure. Uh, My mom said that my first word was horse, so it was uh, in my genetic makeup right from the get-go, and uh, even more than just having a passion for horses and loving horses, I sort of was a horse. I ran around and galloped and wouldn't come if my mother called me by name. She had to call me one of the current star horse's names, like... (laughs) Trigger or champion, <laughs> one of those, you know, and which uh, led to them some. My parents sometimes uh, ignoring me and pretending I wasn't their child, but, <laughs> but I had fun. And uh, my grew up in a military family. We moved around a lot, and uh, my parents, in their wisdom, they loved horses. My mother had had a horse when she met my dad. And in their infinite wisdom, they said that there were no horses in our future until my dad retired, because they knew what would happen every time we moved and couldn't take the horse. It would just be beyond heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get a horse until I was 16. And before that, I, um, you know, there was the occasional pony ride. There were uh, my dad's, um, my grandmother, one on my father's side, was in Baltimore in the city, and so the the street vendors that would come down, you know, crying their wares, and in, in these horse drawn carts. I, oh, I would run down the three stairs with those, <laughs> run out to pet the horses, <laughs> and um, and and once in St Augustine when they were visiting, there we took a horse drawn carriage ride and. I was studying, studying how the man drove the horse. And when when my parents, you know, he, they got to a tourist stop and, I, and and everybody off to go and I said, No, 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 I'm really tired. I want to stay in the well, they left me there, like they should have known better. <laughs> and the driver fell asleep. So I picked up the reins and started driving oh. the horse.
2: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> how you yeah. at this age?
0: No, oh, I don't know uh, I was young, like probably 10, maybe. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so, awesome. and it went fine. I had no problems. I mean, the horse and I were communicating, you know, it wasn't an issue, but of course everybody freaked out. I, it was worth it. It was worth <laughs> it. And, and it wasn't until I got my first horse that I really started riding. There were like, when we lived in El Paso, my mom would take me to the local, uh, riding state, um, riding. You could rent horses. There were a lot of places to rent horses and go on trail rides and things that in those days. And so she said, would you please give my daughter lessons? And he said, sure. And, and I rode around and he said, well, I don't need to give you lessons. You already know everything. And <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, very, very pleased with that. And he said, yeah, you can go off and ride in the desert. Just be back by a certain time. Well, wow. oh goodness. You know, I grew up on the cowboy movies and the cowboy shows and the, you know, so I just galloped around out there in the desert, which was such an incredibly dangerous thing to do and of <laughs> course there were no helmets back then. You didn't wear a helmet. And and that actually led to something that that made a huge had a huge impact on my eventing because in the movies, invariably there would be an arroyo, you know, an arroyo is like a, like a ravine. Okay like a ravine that you'd have to jump. Right. Um, uh, and so I came across one of those and said, okay, <laughs> you know, they do it just fine in the movies. And it was a, you know, it was significantly wide, but not huge. I mean, obviously it was jumpable, or I, I had some common sense. So, uh, I took the horse back and we galloped at it and he did jump it. But you know how horses jumping width sometimes jump flat mm-hmm. if they haven't been taught to jump in an arc? So that And when they jump that way, it's very hard to stay with them. So I stayed with the horse. I mean, I was in a Western saddle, so that made it easier to grab that horn. It scared me. It really scared me. And after that, I had a fear of jumping. And yet simultaneously, it was what I most wanted to do. So there was that push-pull all the time. So when I got my first horse, I started out riding Western and uh, then started jumping him in the Western saddle. And my mom said, maybe we should get you an English saddle. So they bought one for $10, you know, and (laughs) had it patched up. It was ancient that it was an English saddle. And God bless my first horse, Flame. Uh, He had to have been like a Morgan Quarter Horse Cross, and he was... Oh, he taught me to really listen to horses because he would do anything you asked except canter in a circle. And there is no way. No nobody could make that horse can I don't know what the history was. He just wouldn't do it. And then um if I was out on a trail, he would go anywhere on that trail. But if he said no, I learned that, that was he was saying no for a reason. So that was good. And the other thing Flame taught me was to really listen to my gut because my my I wanted to show, my dad wanted me to show, but this not cantering in a circle was a real obstacle to showing. <laughs> right. you know, this is what you go in a ring and you canter in a circle. This does not work. So he hired a cowboy to come out and And teach flame how to canter in a circle and and it was it was awful it was really awful i didn't have a good feeling about it but i was overridden and he had a rubber hose and he raised welts all over flame beating him to make well you know it was the 60s so things were different which never excuses excuses abuse um and in the end he never did get Flame to canter in a circle and and i was like that I will never let that happen to my, one of my horses again. I will, you know, it taught me right off the, the, the bat to be an advocate for my horse and to stand my ground when my gut said, no, I needed to listen. You know, when you're young and you're starting out, you assume the experts know something. But anyhow, I started jumping flame, mostly bareback, and, and I had a great friend Jean Firstenau, who's now a, an amazing horse artist, and she didn't have a horse, and so we rode that horse everywhere double, bareback with a saddle. We jumped double, and it was you know we did all kinds of things that way double. And um, so Flame was awesome that way, and I learned I learned that if I just started jumping over like a gentle cross rail that wasn't so bad. I could hang on to the main and I got more used to it. But it's funny, even back then, before I ever knew there was such a sport called eventing, I wasn't happy to jump poles. I was, I was robbing people's garbage piles of things, you know, like desks and chairs and, Hmm. you know, that you could put stuff on. I I just like, and I'm, never put it on flat ground. I always put it on undulating ground because it was way more fun that way. So I was a budding eventer to begin with. My second horse was Sham. Um, the, he was a horse my dad fell in love with. And when he went to look at him, he threw the man that owned him. He threw the lady that was training him and he threw my father. And my father came home quite excited and said, I found a horse for you. Oh. <laughs> I said, no, what?" what? He said, I said, what did he do? And he said, he just runs off with people. And he said, but you can fix that. And I'm like, I don't want this horse, dad. No, I'm not interested. And, and, but he dragged me to go see him and the horse took off with me too. I mean, it was terrifying. He would just grab the bit and run all, and he was, he would run blind. Like he'd run through fences and things. Oh my goodness. Uh, there was a barn. So I thought, up there like, oh my God, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? I have to stop this horse somehow. Nothing is working. So I just ran him into the wall of the barn. I just ran him into the side of the barn. And dad said, great. You know how to stop him. And he bought him. He brought him home. And I'm like, does my father love me or not? (laughs) That was really dangerous. Oh my God. That horse hurt me a lot. But I also learned, again, to trust my gut because everybody kept saying to me, put more bit on, put a stronger bit on. And my gut kept saying, take the bit out. So I, I, I babysat and did everything I could. I was probably 17 by this time. And I, I uh, saved all my money and I bought a bosal you know, the rawhide covered round thing that Western folks use. And, and you know what? That horse never ran away again. Wow. He was running away from the pain in his mouth. I ah, it it really that was very impactful and that helped me with some other horses down the line that I, I began to understand that when they brace, it had it's there's a reason for that it's either the rider is braced or there's tight muscles or they don't like the bit and no so few people really ask the horse, you know it's all like scientific well if your horse has this shaped mouth then you should have this kind of bit but. Some horses, like my own horse, for instance, has a very low palate and a really thick tongue, and he has a very short mouth. So, you would think he would want a narrow, double jointed bit. Nope. The only bit he likes is a thick shaped, single jointed bit. Uh, Go figure. You got to ask them. (laughs) They tell you. (laughs) <laughs> i show you very clearly i do this in my clinics I, I bring bits along so anyway uh fast forward to uh raf who was a, a really pivotal point in my riding life um i loved arabs was an arab fanatic uh, had you know on the wall, the centerfolds from the Arab magazines the, of the stallions. And I lo- I knew a lot about the history. I was just an Arab fanatic. And so Basie Tankersley was a huge breeder at that time, Almara Arabians, which was in Maryland, close to, we were living in Northern Virginia. And she had this huge auction every year. And she said, I'm going to hold a contest for, about the history of the Arabian horse. And the winner wins an Arabia a purebred Arabian yearling. And I said to my mom, can I enter that? And she's like, oh yeah, sure. You know. (laughs) Yeah, I came in second. (laughs) But at the same time that we were there, we had to kill some time between I took the test and the the main event and when they were going to announce the winners. So I uh, my dad said there was a 4H auction and I was in 4 H and he said, Oh, let's go to the 4 H auction and um, and we ended up bringing a horse home from that because the main auction, the 4-H auction, was running into the time of the main auction, and she said, "Cut it off right now, just cut it off." I don't want, I don't want people being, you know, um, people who could be at the main auction to be at this 4-H auction. So let's do it. And Dad was letting me bid for fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, so we ended up bringing home an 18-month-old stud colt. Like, oh, oh wow. I know it it was three quarters Arab and a quarter, quarter horse. And, and I, I ran, I was just like beside myself with excitement. And I, I just took off. I said to dad, I have to go find him. And I ran down to the stables and I found him and I walked into his stall. I mean, I introduced myself first, but I walked into his stall and I said, and you're mine. And I went to hug him around the neck and he bit me. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, I don't think so. (laughs) So that horse uh that horse taught me a lot because he he had a bump between his eyes and and I, the gray goose did too and be, this horse is the reason why I was so attracted to gray in the beginning because this was a he was almost black Raffy Hun it was his name Raffy was almost black he had these little squinty eyes and that bump between his eyes and he was Uh, he was ferocious. He had apparently, when we brought him home, we had to leave for a week for vacation, which of course just about killed me. My mother would not let me stay. And when we got back, he, he had really become vicious. And apparently there were kids that came and teased him. But if you walked in the field, he would charge you and he meant business and just feeding him. My mother had to stand, um, uh, on the other side of a petition, waving a whip so I could just get his food in his bucket. Wow. And and I was, I had n- no skills, no skills whatsoever about how to deal with a horse like this. And I, I said to my dad, I don't know what to do. I'm really getting scared. And he said, well, figure it out or the horse goes back. And I was like, I think I'll call the trainer at the farm <laughs> and see what he has to say and uh, and he gave me some good advice, which I followed. But the real the real thing that happened that made a difference in our lives, Raff and myself, was uh, the day the vet came to gelding. Um, there were no cell phones. We were boarding. Nobody was home. It was just me and the vet and Raff. And so he uh, gave him the, anest- the anesthetic to put him down and he. Um, did the deed. And then he said he should be up and walking around in half an hour. And this is what you do, blah, 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 blah. Well, Ralph wasn't up in half an hour. He woke up, but he could not get up. And he he had some kind of a reaction to that anesthetic. And I had no way of calling for help. So he could get get up with his forelegs, but not his hindquarters. Mm -hmm. And he dragged himself over about two acres just up and down a hill and through the brush. And I stayed with him. I just stayed with him, doing everything I could to soften any blows and make things. And from that day on, he was like the black stallion in the books. Nobody else could get near him, but I was his person. He bonded with me on such a level and so I bought books about training a horse, uh, mostly Western. At that time, there weren't a lot of, you know, how to start your young horse books. And and I trained him from those books. And he, I could whistle that horse up out of a 200-acre field and ride him with nothing, not even a rope. He was – and do all kinds of things with him. He was really a hard horse, mm-hmm. my first real hard horse. So then – Fast forward, I'll fast forward to Ireland. Jack got sent there because he um, uh, was asked to start up a company. Jack was your husband. That was my husband. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, And Jack, uh, Jack is still living. We're just not married anymore. (laughs) So, and Jack was so cute. He's like, oh my God, I've been offered this job in Ireland. What do you think? And I was pregnant at the time with our first daughter. And I said, he, I said, "Are you kidding? Ireland? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely." He said, "But but we're not bringing any horses back. You have to promise we won't bring any horses back." And I'm like, my fingers are crossed behind my back, going, "Okay, <laughs> uh-uh." I'm like, what are, you, what are you kidding? Anyway, uh, so there was a we were in Ennis, which is in County Clare, out the west near Galway, and there was a stable about. Oh, about twenty minutes from our home, and we were there every day. They had they trained up um, uh, steeplechase horses and and um, hunters, field hunters for the Americans and other tourists from all countries to go fox hunting in Ireland, which is big business. Anyway, we came to one of the first hunts, and there was just chaos in the yard because you know there's so you picture all these these gray buildings, the, the stables and, and walls around it. And there's the cobblestone yard and there were just horses milling everywhere. And clearly it was more than just the hunt horses for the day. And, and all across the backs of all these horses, I saw this um, head pop up on the end of a very long neck, black head, squinty eyes bump between the eyes. And I thought, Oh my God, that horse is just like Raff, So I asked them and they said, Oh yeah, he's a three year old and we're taking him to a uh, show at, in hand at a company. Uh, so now we're going to fast forward and uh, through a lot of stuff and five and two years later, he's five now and I had had some injuries and an illness and had to go home to mother with our daughter, Andy and when i came back i said to the people i don't want to just ride any horse anymore i want one horse one horse to ride and train and they said pick one any horse in the yard and i picked i picked gray and they said oh oh no missus they said call me missus <laughs> you don't want that one <laughs> why not well he throws everybody <laughs> i said yeah I want to ride this horse. So they talked me into working with another horse, Henry, who was beautiful. He was a bright bay, had four white socks up to his knees and hocks and a stripe. And they were convinced I was going to buy Henry. And I'm like, I'll ride both of them. Well, Gray lived up to his reputation. He dumped me literally daily. I mean, the horse was incredibly athletic because he could run, run, really run and really buck at the same time. And he just, he had a really sour attitude, which I realized, like Raph, he was scared. And he figured that the best offense was a good defense. No, the best defense is a good offense. So uh, people, he didn't like, just didn't like people. But he loved baby anythings. So puppies, kittens, children. Andy was two years old. And so... He fell in love with Andy and I would bring her out to the barn. And so gradually he began to trust me because I kept coming with her. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. We ended up bringing Gray home as well as a half sister of his.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: The Gray Goose.
1: Gray Goose. The Gray
0: Goose. So here we
2: go. Now, this is what everyone's tuning in for, <laughs> the Gray Goose story. So I, I, you know, I've done a little bit of homework because I want to make sure I, I know what I'm Talking about Mm -hmm. here. So, you have a cool story how the gray goose got his name. So, if you could share that and then maybe kind of fast forward into taking him to eventing. Does that sound good? Sure.
0: So, they called him, he was the only gray horse in the yard. So, that was, they just called him the gray. That's what they called him the gray horse. The gray horse. His registered name was Hill Tarquin because he was of his, uh, um, no. Gray's name was Brilliant Tarquin because he was by Hill Tarquin, who was from an American thoroughbred racing line. Okay. So that he was, so Gray was seven-eighths thoroughbred and one-eighths Irish draft. And they told me he had bold ruler blood, but the bold ruler blood must have come from his dam side because his sire has, he goes back to um, uh, man of war. Wow. Okay. So gray had man of war and bold ruler blood in him. And if any any of your listeners know anything about bold ruler horses or Nazarula, who was his sire, they're difficult. They're difficult. They, they do not suffer people they determine to be fools lightly. <laughs> if you don't treat them with dignity and respect, they will hurt you. Wow. And they will hurt themselves in order to hurt you if necessary. And they hold grudges. The gray goose once held a grudge for an entire year oh until goodness. that person came around again and when he got back at them they looked at me with their eyes all big and round and said, Oh my God, that's that's for when I made fun of him. And I said, Ah, you you got that, did you? You don't make fun of the gray goose. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't I didn't like the name Brilliant Tarquin. It meant nothing to me. It didn't suit him at all. And I was trying to come up with a name and And one day he was running in the field and this horse, I I can't tell you, I mean, he would just set my soul to soaring. Every time I would see him run or, you know, do a sort of a passage trot, he was just really gorgeous and he was very dark at this point. He had a semi creamy kind of mane and uh, tail and he had, you know, it was black with sort of like silver dapples and he was, anyway, he was gorgeous and I have to say, I rode him for a year before we bought him. And every day I would come home and my husband would say, So how'd it go with a gray horse today? And I say, Oh, I feel so sorry for the people who buy this horse. He's just a mess. He's a mess. He is so uncoordinated and he's so difficult to work with. He either went with his head straight up like a giraffe or his chin on his chest with his with it, with his jaw and everything rigid and he'd just be bolting off with you. It was like, oh my God. Anyway, a year later, I thought to myself, you know, he's comfortable. He had a very long back and I had broken the end off my tailbone. So that was a consideration. He's very comfortable and always I wanted to be on the team eventing. I had by this time learned about eventing and I thought, well, I know he's really fast and I know that he's a good jumper because no matter what he does with me, I mean, being a typical Irish horse, he often had rails down, but nothing, nothing would keep this horse in. If he was scared, he would jump over anything. There was no way to hold this horse in. And I thought, okay, so he's a good jumper because I've seen him jump out of some pretty amazing things. And uh, you know, when he's on his own out in the field, he's a pretty good mover not 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 tacked up but on his own so I said so this is when I talked to Jack and I said let's buy this horse so we did and so I had to come up with a name and I was I was thinking to myself watching him float around out there I thought wow you know he's he's a lot like a goose because he's terrified of everything and you know how people say you silly goose well I called him that a lot because he was really scared of everything and so I was already calling him silly you silly goose and then I thought geese are so beautiful in flight but they're very awkward waddling on the ground and and gray literally so I mean like you know road studs right so you're always supposed to take your road studs out when you're done right gray had to live in road studs I even trailered him in road studs because without the road studs he tripped and fell down He was just an awkward horse. He was ungainly, but he was very much like Clark Kent Superman. I mean, when the word started to, well, okay, you asked me about eventing. So I had the dream of eventing. And before we left in 1976, we left Ireland to come back to the States. There was a local event. And I thought, it would be really fun to do this over here. So I entered at the lowest level, which is sort of like between training and prelim over here, which I did not realize. And um, a good friend of mine, Jennifer Grover, came over from the States and uh, and we walked that first course together. And I, I got to tell you, it had everything on it. You know, these big Irish banks and and ditch and road crossing and water. Um, I won't get into gray and water, but he was terrified of water. and um, I had to walk that course six times before I could even conceive of actually jumping it. Wow. And, um, and the day arrived. And of course we were horrid in the dressage because for a long time, Gray was last in dressage because he went around with his head in the air and I didn't know how to fix that. And, uh, but we made it through the cross country and, and through the grace of God, through the water, I got to tell you, and, uh, and he was amazingly, shockingly clean show jumping. We actually ended up winning that event. Wow. <laughs> but, and, and, and I won a Waterford decanter. And that was really cool. So the, the thing that was, that was huge in that, though, is that along about the third or fourth fence, I felt, I felt a really huge change happen in the gray up to that point, anything that a human had asked him to do was just an incredible inconvenience for him. He just did not like being ridden. He didn't be, like being asked to do things. He was just very unhappy. But uh, about that third or fourth fence, he I could feel he was having fun. This was fun. And he started locking on to flags. He was like looking for flags and where's the next fence. Where's the next fence. And I thought, yes, I found my event horse. (laughs) 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 So that that's how we got into eventing.
2: Wow. Mm. Amazing.
0: That's That's so cool. cool. So cool.
2: So, okay. So let's fast forward a little bit to when you start getting serious and, and, uh, because you have such a great story i don't want to skip to anything but then at the same time i don't want to miss important stuff right. too so
0: like c- you c- don't c- want to hear about how he chased a jump judge up the tree <laughs> <laughs> no. that, well, another another time we can go over novice gray stories that <laughs> <laughs> before i learned there was something besides a plain snaffle yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I have heard where, the, when I, I heard there was kind of pretty much a, a key time when you started to say, okay, this horse is not even, though I know he's special, but other people can tell this one's special. Can you start kind of from maybe that, that point?
0: Yeah. So when we were going prelim, that's when people started to sit up and take no, notice. And it was actually Guy Higgins. Thank you, Breen, for remembering his name. <laughs> Guy Higgins was the technical delegate. And he watched Gray and I go cross country. And that night, he called up Mike Plum and said, there's a horse out here in the mountains of Virginia that you really need to come take a look at. And I got a phone call from Mike Plum, which, of course, was like, gasp. (laughs) Until he said he was interested in looking at my horse to buy him. And I said, "Uh, no. (laughs) No. So he did not come and look at him. But after that, whenever we were at a competition... Well, no, I'm trying to think. We went to a competition that was further uh, north. It was was probably in Maryland or some or further. Anyway, um, Mike Plum actually, uh, you know, we met somewhere on the grounds, and he said, "Could I come by and look at your horse?" And I said, "Sure." And we set a time, and he came by and looked at him in his stall and started laughing, which I was used to by then. Now. Because Gray, really, I mean, he he was put together out of spare parts and he had a really I mean, Jack LeGoff called him a family horse because you could put the whole family on his back. Very long back. And and Jack was kind of laughing and I and I just smiled. You know, I'm a quiet rebel. I don't I don't get in people's faces. I just quietly do my thing. And and uh, I said, well, you might want to just watch him go cross country. That's all I said. So then, then more people's ears kind of pricked and more, you know, Mike was like, oh, wow, this is an amazing horse. And, and there was a pivotal moment. Uh, I was probably going in immediate by this time. It was probably at Blue Ridge or somewhere like that. And, and I, I was warming up for show jumping, which was always, I mean, Visage was just a write-off, but uh, show jumping was the cross country was just fun. It was just fun. And show jumping was a nightmare because Gray was indeed an Irish horse, and he really, he really didn't care if he hit the poles or not. And the problem was, because I didn't understand a lot, he would get stronger and stronger as we went along. So by the last two you know, two or three fences, we were going way faster than we should be, and he had so much talent, he, didn't, he would just jump flat, and he could usually clear them. So I'm warming up for show jumping and I just happened to look on the rail and, oh, my God, there's Mike Plum and Jimmy Wofford and Jack McGough and probably General Burton was there, too, and a few other of the really big people. And I kind of, you know, quietly said something that I won't say on the public airs to myself. (laughs) 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 And and uh, and Gray immediately sensed that and started getting started acting up and I said, Kim, you got to get a grip, just get a grip. What are you here for? You know? Okay. So if it's not good, it's not, it's going to be what it's going to be, but you're here to ride your horse, make it easier for your horse. And that was something that really held me in good stead as time went on. And I, and I got into like international competition. It was just about me and gray. I was just there for gray. So um, then so then more people started wanting to buy him. We were offered a lot of money. And I just said, I said, well, number one, he was in my name. My gut had said when we bought him your name only. <laughs> and, and I said to Jack, what would we do with the money? What would we do with that money? We'd try to buy another horse. And I said, where are we going to find one like this? He said, you have a good point.
2: And, you know, as you're telling a story, it's kind of interesting how at that time, if someone wanted to scout you or your horse out they had to come in person for the most part where today, oh, they get- you know, there's some video and there's, you know, people can find a way to find the live stream mm-hmm. or whatever like that, you know, so there's a lot less pressure because they don't necessarily have to be lining the fence, but now <laughs> back in, back in that time. They oh were, yeah. You traveled, you yeah. traveled to go see a horse. Yeah. We're all there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. And you, what, what did you, you know, a, another interesting part of your story is your coaching. Like you did a lot of, self you were like self-taught really for for a lot of like the dressage and things like that can you can you talk about that like you learned from books and things is that
0: i did yes uh, uh magazines magazine articles and books yes because we were i mean we lived in dublin virginia it's it's you know it's, it's a little further um south than um Blacksburg Virginia but up in the mountains and and it's it's like where my soul most feels at home it's such beautiful country and we had a little 17 acre farm but that 17 acre farm was very undulating very uh, and and oh our neighbor had 200 acres and he said you can ride over here anytime you want and on our property was a little runoff a pond from the interstate which was up above us so we were on a frontage road mm-hmm. and so that you know the tractor trailer trucks would go by and they'd honk and I'd wave when I was riding <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have known what my CB name was to the guys <laughs> cuz clearly they all knew about it, about me out there riding and uh and then there was a little ditch that led to the the pond and so um I had Eight oil drums, and I had eight, uh, four sets of standards, so eight standards, and I had um, some poles, and I just moved that all around the property, and that's how we learned. You know, was up the, but the cross country was always innate in me. I I didn't have to study on cross country. I don't know, it was in my genes somehow. Gray and I just, uh, but the dressage and the show jumping was a whole other story. Now, uh, Jack. I learned to ride in France. His dad, his parents were also military and he learned to ride in France. Lucky him. (laughs) They got sent to France. We got (laughs) sent to Okinawa. No riding there. So he knew, he knew, he knew a lot of things and he would try to help me out. But you know how it is between husband and wife and daughter and mother and that kind of thing. It can get a little tense sometimes, but um, so I listened. He would come out and tell me things. And there was a, Radford College was nearby. And I would go to that instructor from time to time. Uh, I did my very first instructor that I went to away. I, I took, uh, by this time I had two children. So I took Andy and Brian to the parents and went to spend a week at the Potomac Horse Center with a wonderful British Horse Society instructor named Betty Howitt. And I I went there to t- figure out the dressage and she she rode gray and said to me i will never forget these words this horse is incapable of doing dressage Mm. he is not built to do dressage and he is incapable of doing, doing good dressage and he can't cross his legs in and i just thought well i'll figure it out another way so then somehow somebody got a german instructor to come to our part of Virginia. And of course I signed up for the clinic immediately. I was so excited to ride with this rider, but she had us plant our hands on the front of the saddle and put our spurs in, you know, it was, and Gray, the the only thing that came out of that clinic was that Gray learned how to grind his teeth Mm. and he ground his teeth for the rest of his life. Whenever he was in a public situation, Yeah. it was awful. So I said to myself, okay, I I have to figure this out the way I figured out other things, you know, I got to listen to gray and I got to read books. So there's a wonderful book called give your horse a chance. It's huge. It's, I don't know how many pages it is, but like close to 600 maybe. I mean, it's huge and small print. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, the author was, um, I don't remember his nationality, but he was in, I think, a Russian prison, or he was a Russian in a German, I don't know, during the war, he was imprisoned for a large part of the war, and and how he kept himself sane was writing this book. So there were instructions there, now I'm exaggerating, but it was almost like, where to put your little toe when you were asking for half pass, you know, the very detailed yeah. instruction. So I would bring that book out and I would put it on a fence post of the arena and I'd plant a rock in the middle of it. So the pages wouldn't blow and it wouldn't fall off. And I'd read a paragraph and I go, okay, great. Here we go. And I want, and I wrote when I could see my shadow and I would, and I, and I go, uh, it does not look like the picture. Let me read that again. Okay. Obviously I'm doing something wrong. And and there were some other books that I read that got me in trouble because I did things literally. I mean, these were the the experts, right? But um, in trying to use my seat correctly, I actually my I came out. I had to call the vet because something was very wrong with Gray's back, and he came out and he said, "What are you doing? What are you doing when you ride him?" And I explained you what I was reading in the book and what I was trying, and he said, "Kim, you've given him." muscle spasms in his back with your seat. Oh wow.
1: Wow. <laughs> my goodness.
0: Because you know I'm Polish, right? I I work hard. <laughs> so that was another big lesson. Don't always believe everything you read in the books. Wow. And um yeah and that's so that's what we did. Wow. It was wow. it was Jack and these just random things, but um you know I studied like uh, somebody I think it was Jimmy Wafford put a conditioning schedule in one of the magazines of that time that's no longer around. I think it was Dressage and Combined Training. And so that's how I did my conditioning. That's how I learned. And I just did all that. And, and that held true until um, we were going intermediate by 1979. Might have been, I think we did an advanced that fall. But in this, so 1978, So, Jack and I, when we lived in Ireland, we had gone to Burley for the World Championships and we watched the American team win. And in 1978, the World Championships, of course, were in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were there. And we walked the course, which was hellacious. And I said to Jack at that time, I said, These these fences really look cool, except for a couple of them. I said I'm coming back next year, and we're going to jump these. I said because right now, I don't see a single fence on this course that Greg could not jump, but I, but we could not jump them all at once. You know, we couldn't jump them as a course, but he could jump the fences. Wow. So I said I'm coming back next year, and we're going to do this. And of course, everybody's like laughing, and I'm like, no, no, we're going to do this. So part of what made the World Championship so hellacious was the weather. It was. Uh, in the 90s. So it was held, um, World Championships are always held in the fall of whatever country. You know, if, it's all, if you're doing them in Australia, you have to go in April. But if it's okay. here, it, it's in September. So Kentucky in September was horribly hot mm. and very high humidity. And those poor European horses, you know, they didn't stand a chance with that kind of weather. When the horses were coming in horribly overheated, um, having to receive, um, electrolytes intravenously, which was unheard of at that time, but it was necessary. Horses, amazing horses from Europe would just, they'd just stop on the course and say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can't, I can't do this for you. Horses that had been around badminton and Burley and one, and it was a, it, a lot of falls, a lot of wrecks, mm-hmm. which I said, okay, they're not used to the weather. That hasn't I did not deter me, let me just put it that way. So in 1979, um, the first um, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Horse Park event was held. And I went and I was in, so it was only run intermediate. Okay. So we jumped all the fences from the World Championships, but they were two inches lower uh, because it was intermediate. And they took out the horrible zigzag which at which so many horses fell and and a couple of others but but the uh, but the lexington bank was there i can't tell you how much it um pains me that the lexington bank is gone it's just they kept lowering it and lowering it, it was such a fun fence and, a, and an amazing skill i mean in ireland they do this stuff all the time you know it's like a natural obstacle on the course anyhow I walked <clears throat> I walked into the barn. Grey actually had a pretty good dressage test. I think we ended up like sixth or something because he was uh, um you know, he liked that venue. And I, I walked into the barn the morning across country and I said it was like walking into into um a mortuary. <laughs> it was it was somber and it was quiet. It was quiet. But it wasn't the hustle and the bustle of normal event I said to Jack I said what's going on and because he had come out early to feed he said Kim he said they're scared people are scared this is a really tough course and I'm like I don't want to hear anymore because (laughs) I cannot wait to get out and jump that course (laughs) don't tell me anything else (laughs) and I had prepared for the weather which was exactly the same it was run in May then and um, I had done all my conditioning Mm -hmm in high heat, high humidity. So at between noon and one in Virginia during the day, that's when I did my conditioning. So, you know, three quarters of the way around the course, Gray's saying, I can't breathe anymore. And I say, I can't either, buddy, but we know we, we, we've hit this place before. We, we will get through it. Just keep going. You're all right. And he's like, okay, I got my second win. All right, let's go. And so we were the only ones to actually uh, go around that course with no time penalties. Wow. And we came in second in that in that division, and that's when that fall, actually, yeah, that fall, uh, there was somebody drove into our driveway, and there was a knocking on the door, and I opened the door, kind of puzzled, and there was a man, you know, and he said, "I have a telegram for you." And I'm thinking, "Oh my God!" Oh, the telegrams, because you know, this is how you got in touch with somebody yeah, quickly yeah, right? then it was oh, by goodness. telegram but it usually didn't mean good things were happening right. it usually meant something awful was happening so i took the telegram and I, I with trembling fingers i opened it up and i read it was from jack lagoff and he was inviting me to come train at the team that winter oh, that's awesome and it was you know wow. then then i was crying but it was tears of joy right.
2: Right. <laughs> now, was that to become like a, like um a- where where you would go and move and just stay for the entire winter, like the whole team? Got
0: no, there. oh okay. god, no, no, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, uh, It was two weeks. Okay. It was two weeks. Wow. So, yeah. So the neighbors took the kids and and uh, drove to Boston because that's where the team headquarters was at Hamilton, okay. Massachusetts. Yeah. And, and had to drive the trailer in Boston traffic, which terrified me. And um, luckily it didn't snow or sleet or rain or any of those things. And got there. I, Jack had said, bring four horses with you. And I thought, ah, I don't I have four horses. <laughs> 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 I have two. I could bring the, the black mare, who was doing prelim at the time, and gray. He said, no, no problem. We have horses you can ride. And I, um, I didn't. I guess I did. He said, you have to bring a groom. And I think I did bring somebody, but we didn't know anything. We knew nothing. And so I just kept my head down and watched everybody. Who else was there? Torrance Fleshman. She was Watkins at the time. Um, Ralph Hill and Jimmy Wofford. It was the four of us. Yes. And and it was uh, quite the education. I kind of wanted to just, you know, when I looked at the mirrors for the first time, I looked at these three other people riding around and I looked in the mirrors and I just wanted to crawl under the mushrooms in the corner of the arena. I was just, <laughs> oh, wow. but, but Jack said a kind thing to me. He could tell. and he said, just remember that you got here, you know, you're through what you have done. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Mm.
2: Now with you know if we skip ahead a little bit so we you you guys had an amazing career. I mean you 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 won Kentucky, you got a team and individual bronze at Lumelin in what was that, 82? 82 82? 82. Yes. Yes. Well done. I mean the, like an incredible incredible just incredible career. Yeah, you know amazing. Team, you know on the teams. Could you just uh and eventually the Grey Goose went on to be
0: uh, on a hall of fame horse, correct? Yes. Man. Yes, two thousand twelve. He was inducted. Wow! Through the requests of his fans,
1: yeah, deserves
2: it. <laughs> That's incredible. And you, you, you said that there, there were times that where you even like had a fundraise to kind of get to things. Oh and, yeah, like, sales and things like that. Like, was that common, or was that just kind of the way you had to make it happen? Like, it was just.
0: Well, there were people who had owners, so um, like um, Torrance and Mike had owners. Um, Jimmy usually had his own horses, um, but there were people who who had people who bought horses for them and they would pay the expenses of the horse. But um, Jack said to me, maybe we could look for at least sponsorship, you know, part ownershipers." And I'm like, no, no, no. Because once once I knew that at least back in those days, once I had a sponsor, then I would feel obligated to perform for them. Mm-hmm. And and that wasn't for the good of the horse, and so uh, so Jack, thank God, kept rising up the ranks in his business as well. So uh, we had moderate means, but not we weren't wealthy by any means at all. And uh, so I taught lessons and I did clinics and I and I held the our the town we lived in then was Woodbury, Connecticut, and I have to say they really rallied around us. So they they would come out and support like. Uh, I think it was it was either before badminton or Boccolo. I can't remember which one. I did a demo a demonstration dressage ride on the soccer field of the high school. And you know, they brought out you know boompox and played um the um the theme from Rocky because Gray's extended trot fit that very well.
2: Wow. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure video of this. I know. Yeah, I know. But see, we didn't have any of that, man. I mean we did have a huge, you know, the huge video VCRs. But, uh, but Jack never taped anything of that wow. and, and, um and bake sales and yeah. And he wrote letters, he wrote letters to corporations and asked them, would they spend, you know, would they send money? And then I would include their name and, uh, but yeah. Wow. That's so, how you did it back then.
2: You know, I just think it's inspirational. That, I mean, obviously your story is very inspirational. Everything that you ever came to, yeah. you know, I mean, just, we don't have to repeat it. It's, it's just incredible. It's, it's incredible. To he lived to thirty years old, correct? Yes. And did he yes. stay with you the entire time? Yes. And he's currently at the head of the lake in Kentucky. Is that true?
0: <laughs> well, uh, yes. So when he uh, when he died, he he had a major stroke in June of two thousand twenty. Tw- yeah. <laughs> well, that's wrong. 2000 gray was born in 1970 in the in june of 2000 he had a major stroke and uh, we had to put him down because he he had no feeling at all on his left side so there was no hope of getting him up and having him he did he couldn't coordinate that so um and of course it was a sunday and um i had a, a good a good friend who came out and sat with me and i said you know i I really want to cremate him. I don't want to bury him. I want to cremate him. And she got on the phone, God bless her, and found a crematorium that was large enough to take a horse in New Jersey. And then they shipped me the, the ashes. And then um, I had called the Kentucky Horse Park Prior, as he got older, I wanted to have something in place. And they let me know that they did not bury horses there. That was not their policy. Um, they would bury the head and the tail, but not the entire body. And I'm like, this is not happening. Nope. <laughs> so that's hence the cremation. And then another friend of mine who was a woodworker made a beautiful wooden box with brass fittings, and we put the ashes in there, and they held a ceremony at the Kentucky Horse Park um, where I spoke about Gray and his career, and we buried the box. So there is a horse cemetery above the head of the lake. It's not just Gray who's in there. There's other horses as well. Yes, yes. But I just thought that was so fitting because that was I loved the head yeah. of the lake. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's just wow. it's just
2: it's, it's 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 just such a special horse, and mm-hmm. to be able to hear
0: that. And Thank you.
2: But when they hear the story, hopefully, maybe they go and they might try to visit the spot. You yeah, know,
0: yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty
2: cool.
1: Definitely. And he was, and you and Gray were in the movie Sylvester as well. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes, you we know? were funny you are our second stunt rider in like a month right.
1: <laughs> a person that did a movie randy
2: i
0: i yes. listened to his yeah yeah so well you know they didn't have anybody with the skill set to jump those big jumps right. and and it was only there were only two really horses that could have looked remotely like the the horse the real horse sylvester and um that was karen stives has been arthur and the gray goose and karen stives i was an alternate for the olympic team that year she was on the team so i did not travel to california and so we were the only ones really (laughs) but i didn't know that but you know i got again i got this phone call out of the blue and i thought it was a prank call (laughs) 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 no no we're really serious we were, were doing this movie and we went and i was like oh wow so jack and i discussed it and packed up gray and Andy and her pony Ebony because they wanted extras down to Kentucky. We went. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. And that you love cool. it. That's one of your favorites. Yeah. That mages.
1: is one of my favorites. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, we're, gonna
0: to, we're definitely going to have gonna, to watch it. Yeah. We gotta go <laughs> yes. Back to it. yes. That's
2: pretty cool. So you were the, you, you were riding it. So I guess, uh, can you see you like in the scenes where you're in it? Could you, are you visible? Just, you just kind of, you don't see your face so well or
0: right. So here's the deal. Once Melissa Gilbert gets to Kentucky, Anytime you do not see her face, it's me. Okay. So I did, I did, um, seven eighths of the dressage. Uh, there is a long shot of me, of gray and I picking up a canter at sea and they, where they show all of me. That's the only time in the movie they, that, well, that's not true because I'm jumping the fences, but, um. So that was in dressage, and then cross country. I did all the cross country. Now Melissa did; um, uh, she did the scenes where he's running from one jump to another, but she didn't do any jumping. So actually, there's a. If you, ha- I don't know if you have time, but there's a, a little tale there that not a lot of people know. That, her, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, in in Texas, which were the where the first part of the film was shot. Uh, Sylvester realized that if Melissa was on him, he was going to gallop from point A to point B. So by the time she got to Kentucky, she was a little afraid of him because that's all he did. If she got on him, he took off. So her first scene, of course, we'd been there for weeks shooting a lot of the action stuff with the second unit. Um, with the second unit, and so we're all gathered around to watch Melissa ride Sylvester. And her first scene was in the dressage arena, and he he did he took off on her. Ooh. Oh my goodness! And and she she was able to get him stopped. She kept him in the arena, but she got off and she said to the director, "That's it. I'm done. I'm never getting back on this horse again." Mm. Now I was not allowed to speak to Melissa at all about riding because of union rules there's a lot of union rules involved in movies and they had hired an instructor and I was not allowed to say a word to her, but I walked up to the director and I said, I have a bit that looks just like that snaffle bit on the outside, but that's not, it doesn't look like that on the inside. <laughs> and I said, I think she can hold him in that bit. So because they were all panicking and I said, I really think, I think she'll be okay if she uses this bit and it did, it worked out. So that was, so she was able to keep riding him. and. So she did some of the I mean whenever you see her on Sylvester that's the real Sylvester there were a lot of horses that doubled for Sylvester in that wow. movie a lot of horses and I rode I when I when I when I I said I would do it I said I, I'm not going to jump gray every day I can jump him every other day but not every day and they agreed to that so on the off days there was a, a kindly two training level horses. No, I think there was one prelim and one training level horse that uh, people gave me permission to ride in the movie. So I had to bump the training level horse up to preliminary before they started shooting. (laughs) (laughs) He was a good guy. He did a good job. So those are the horses I ride on roads and tracks and over the smaller fences at Kentucky. Gray did all the big ones. You can tell because of the tail, you know, that tail and his just his whole demeanor is but it. It was uh he he clever boy that he is, but there wasn't not a lot to warm up on out there at the Kentucky Horse Park when there's nothing going on. Those are like picnic tables, which is nothing when you're going over the Giants mm-hmm. day, excuse me, table. Um but <clears throat> but he managed it all well. So the first one they shot was the Giants Table. And so Gray Gray knows you know, he knows the whole course and he comes up to that thing like Really, really. Where's Nigel? I don't hear. I don't hear Nigel announcing. What are we doing? And why are we starting in the middle of the course? He's a little confused, but he jumped it like full guns blazing. Jumped it, and then I pulled him up, and he's like, "Now what are we doing?" And it took him a while, but he figured it out. So he would always jump every fence the first time as if he was on course, and I had just forgotten because you know. Humans aren't all that smart, right? So maybe <laughs> I'd just forgotten the normal warm-up. Uh, he would always jump the, the the first time as if he was on the course, but after that, he'd be like, "Oh, they're filming. Okay." <laughs> and and the director, after watching the first few, I forget what I call it when they they look at the what they've shot that day, and he said, "He makes it look so easy." He said, can't you make it look harder? These jumps don't look like it, making it look easy. Yeah. And and I, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't make it look harder. I said, you're going to have to use different angles or something. I can't. Yeah. But he jumped over. He, he jumped over the cameraman twice, oh. uh, lying. So once he was lying in the ditch of the coffin, and the other time he was actually, I mean, that was a brave man he was uh he was filming show jumping and he was in the you know underneath the oxer he wow. was um, i mean and so both times i just showed him to gray and said you gotta jump big here buddy and he did wow that, oh that's my smooth. goodness that's incredible
2: <laughs> so we definitely gotta all go back yeah. sylvester's gonna get a big bump here all of a sudden yes it is oh, no. yeah <laughs> And now, <laughs> speaking of movies, before we move
0: on, mm-hmm. there,
2: you're, there's a new movie coming out, and it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's called uh, the Mother Goose. Is that right? The Mother Goose
0: Mother Goose story, story? Mother I think, Goose is story. the title of it. Yes, it's a documentary. Okay. It's a short documentary. So at least that's the plan right now. So what's um, the
2: what's the story on this? Is it
0: well, Julie Jacobs is is a fan of ours. I mean, I have amazing fans. It just blows me away. I mean. How many years has it been since the Grey Goose competed? And yet people still name their cars and trucks after him. They name their horses after him. He is beloved by so many people worldwide. So Julie Johnson is a wonderful lady who lives in Canada. And she contacted me one day and she said, I see these little short documentaries coming out about people. She said, your story needs to be told. So, she started putting the word out and going through channels and on Facebook and and found someone who was willing to be a videographer so Sybil Miller and who lives in Texas and she um, uh, there were other people that were involved now it's it's pretty much just Sybil but um they they came to Sybil and another lady came to um a clinic that I was teaching in Texas because it was not that far for them, Texas wise. And, uh, and they, and she took some footage of me teaching there, but Oh my God, I got horribly sick. So she only really got one good day of filming. I caught some horrible fever that was going around there and was teaching really sick. So, and she's come to some other clinics and done some filming and she's done a lot of interviews so this is where we are with COVID. They've been Zoom interviews, okay. but she's contacting the people from my past who had a lot to do with our story so that their stories can be told and their memories oh. can be told. And of course there's footage from uh, Jack always filmed our competitions, either with video or in the, in the beginning with um, the old super eight film.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's no sound. And of course she's you know, it's faster than we're used to, (laughs) but anyway, all of that's going to get woven into a documentary. So that'd be a lot of fun to see that. Got to look out for that.
2: Definitely got to look out for that. Well, definitely. Hopefully you and your people can keep us in the loop too. Mm -hmm. When that comes out so we can make sure we share that
0: with you. Yes, absolutely. We'll do. Yeah. So there's a Facebook page called the mother goose project, I believe it is. Okay.
2: Yes. Very cool. Right. Awesome. And you were, you are probably, I mean, I, I you know, the, you were a pioneer just for women in the sport too at the time. Right? I mean, were you not right?
0: Well, there were women, I mean, you know, Jenny Lang and Lucinda Palmer and there were a lot in, in England, of course, competing before me, even in, and Torrance was on the team. Um, um, oh, uh, Marcus Aurelius, Mary Antowski. Mm-hmm was on the team here in the States before me. There were women, but I, I think I was the first mother. Wow. That's right. To do it with, with small children. Incredible. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. Very inspirational.
2: Super inspirational. Super inspirational. I mean, I feel, I feel like there's so much that we're not covering. Yeah. But hopefully people, you know, maybe someday you can come on and we can, or, or, you know, watch the film, but, it's an amazing story mm-hmm. and, and the horse and everything. Um, so just to kind of keep it moving because there is so much, but we you know, we got a pretty good general overview. And maybe someday we can come on again and we can talk a little bit more and get a little deeper on some other yes. stuff. But there you go. What is today's like you're you're still doing clinics today and, and so forth. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what how what 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 you're doing with horses today these days?
0: Well, um, I do my best to help people understand what the horses, you know. Um, to me, riding is a relationship. It's always been about relationship because if you have that relationship, I mean, I mean, you know, there was a story we didn't get to, but I, I had some bones that were not quite healed in my back separate on the cross in the middle of the cross country course yeah. at Lomulon, and so I had no, no, no. I had no power on my left side. I couldn't use the rein. I couldn't, I could keep my foot in the stirrup, but I couldn't kick or use my leg at all. And, and, and I felt Greg go, are you okay up there? And I'm like, you got to do the rest of this yourself, buddy. And you know, this is a world championship course long format where you're car- I was carrying, um, 20, 20 pounds of lead in gray was carrying 20 pounds of lead. And, uh, In the last, next to last fence was the water complex. And one rider had already died there. And and I couldn't help Gray. I mean, you were always, you had to be really fit so you could help your horse at the end of one of these courses. Because they'd covered so many miles that day and at speed. And he did that for me. You know, I mean, if you don't have a relationship, because I've watched it with other horses and riders that didn't have a relationship. And the the chips would go down. And they'd say, no, I'm done. Mm Mm-mm. I'm done. I'm not doing this for you. But so I, when I teach a clinic, I help people understand their horses better. What do they need from their rider as far as uh, using the aid, learning how to give an aid in a different way with their body. So I've studied biomechanics a lot. I mean, i I was so blessed to work with two other pioneer women, Sally Swift and Linda Tellington Jones. And and that they spoke my language. <laughs> it, it, you know, it wasn't put your foot here and do that. It was like learn how to soften your muscles. And oh when you do that, all the pain in your body that I had been holding on to for three years from that accident with my broken tailbone, that just melted away because it was my compensation patterns that were holding on to that. So you know, we hold, we hold tension in our muscles from uh, a loss of confidence, from trauma of any kind, whether it was horse-related or not, that's there. And it makes us, in, in our desire to succeed and our desire to do the right thing, we're often throwing such strong energy at a horse that they're just like, oh, my God, get off my back. And we say, oh, they are, they're resistant, there, he's such a bad boy, or she's just such a, such a mare. And it's like, and so I come in, and, and I, I say to the folks, today, you're going to learn how to ride in a different format. And from all the years, I've been able to condense my learning into um, the first two lessons are always about the rider's body. But in the process, the horses change dramatically dramatically and the riders begin to understand that when their horse pins their ears or or leans on the bit they're trying to say that's uncomfortable what you're doing could you please stop it rather than my horses being a twit and when they fix things the horses stop that behavior and they reward their rider so um and, and then I take it from there, you know, I take it into jumping and cross country and how you ride up and down hills, which is really important and very few people seem to understand that anymore and, and why would you want to go jump a vertical jump down the bottom of a hill without knowing how to balance. So I work on all those things. Wow. I love it that sounds awesome yeah it does
2: how busy are you i mean do, do you travel all around or people to come to you or how does this work
0: well i used to travel but then we hit yeah. mm-hmm. so i i only travel within driving distance at this point so i taught a, a clinic in virginia this fall because everything shut down for mm-hmm. covid yeah. um the this uh so this fall i drove to virginia and taught a clinic so that was seven hours and uh you know i'm not spring chicken anymore <laughs> And, and there's a lot of attrition to this body from the times I've come off. And so that's kind of my range, but I'm sure, I'm sure I, you know, I have people who want me to come to places like Oklahoma and Tennessee. And, um, once, once there's a vaccine and COVID goes away, then I will start traveling by plane again.
2: Man, that's wonderful. Yeah.
0: People do come to me. So
2: that's amazing. And you do life coaching too. I do. Well, yes. tell, tell us about what that
0: what that's about well very quickly uh when I first started teaching in the early 80s in Connecticut um uh, I always kind of heard the horses when when they want when they really if you're open to it and they really want you to understand something that they'll they'll tell you stuff and so when I was really working with this one lady she rode a big chestnut horse and we were I just couldn't get her past a certain thing. And, and the horse said to me, kind of rolled his eyeball at me and got my attention. He said, you know, she's never going to be able to do what you want her to do with her muscles until she changes her life. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> he said, no, no, but her situation at home is not good. And she's never, oh, it was about feel. It was about feel. Uh, she just could not feel. And she couldn't tell anything. He said, she'll never be able to feel because she can't feel because her her life situation is not good. And I said, that's not my job. And the horse said, yeah, it is. And I'm like, I, I was just flabbergasted. I blew it off. But then it happened again. So I went to Brentano's was the bookstore, the big bookstore change back then. And I looked up, I went to the self-help section, you know, and started looking up. I started reading this is my go-to reading and learning, and and then when I got um, when Jack and I went through the divorce, I did therapy, and then I uh, Gideon, my stallion, is very tuned into people and emotional healing. That's his gift. Like Gray was gifted cross country, Gideon is gifted in humans and emotional healing, and he sent me to life coaching. Two years, two years. That was brutal of life coaching school. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so I, I just incorporated. I've always incorporated it. I've always brought just casually, you know, brought these things in. Um, but now there are people who you know, life coaching is not seen as something weird. And so they come and, and if they get blessed to work with Gideon, then their lives are really changed. Wow.
2: Well, and, and you know, we didn't get to it in here, but you've had obviously great highs and then you've had the lowest of lows. And, yes. uh So... Uh, you know, we're not going to get into that, but you've been there. You know, you've yes. you, you've experienced th- all the emotions and learned how to cope with so much in your life. Mm-hmm. So, um, that that in and of itself is 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 a is amazing, and and the fact that you're willing to take that and what you learned, and and you know, I'm sure I'm sure because you've been in these positions, you can probably help people with, you know, by if by I
0: can help, if I can help one person to know that that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there are ways to get through it and to survive. And then, then I, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I feel like an eight hour interview would still not.
0: Come, <laughs> car, would then, you know, it's
2: just, it's just crazy to think that, boy, I mean, like, uh, I, I think that the documentary should be in more than a short documentary, but, it should yeah. be a very long He's, documentary, yes. Um, and I, and I do hope that we get you back another day mm-hmm. to talk more. And Thank stuff you. Like that. Yes.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So as we wind things down, do you have any advice for that young rider or amateur that's trying to make it in the sport?
0: Yes. My, I had two mottos when I was coming up. They're still my mottos. One is where there's a will, there's a way. There's always a way. You just have to really get inventive about it. Think outside the box. And the other motto was, "Why can't I have my cake and eat it too?" Because when I asked the upper-level eventers what does it take to be on the team, every single thing they said on the list I did not have. You know, you had to be, you had to be able to go away and spend a lot long periods of time. You couldn't have kids. You had to have multiple horses. You had to have a facility. You had to have a sponsor. You had to. I didn't have any of that, and I just said, "Well, I'll have to find another way to do it." And so what I say, I say to the up and coming folks, you, it, you just have to want it bad. You have, you have to, I lived it, I ate it, I breathed it, I slept it. It was always in the back of my mind. The, and trust your gut, trust your intuition, because it will tell you things that sound bizarre. But if, you, if it's not enough to listen, it, you have to obey. You have to obey. When you do that, then somehow a path magically opens up. It's really amazing. How about that. So that's that's mine. To believe. Wow. Yeah. Amazing it. advice. That is awesome. amazing.
2: And it, we talked about a little bit before the interview. We talked about the history and people. And and one thing great about having you on. And, and we try to do this you know, when we can get on the legends of the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, the historical side of things in the sport and. Just kind of what? What are your thoughts on that? As far as like, um, you know, people today's riders knowing the history of the sport and the pioneers in the sport, especially in the states.
0: Well, it has recently come to my attention that uh, because a lot of my clinics aren't eventing focused, but when I go to an eventing focused, camp, I'm I'm appalled that. Um, People who are like in their twenties and thirties and sometimes even forties, they don't even know who Jack Lagoff is. They don't know who Bruce Davidson is. They know Jimmy Wofford because he writes. You know, they know Denny Emerson because he's very act- He writes and is active on Facebook. But they don't. They don't know the people who have passed on. They don't know General Burton. They don't know Neil Eyre, for God's sake. That just that so saddens me because, you know, he his farm Ledyard was the epicenter for eventing up there in Hamilton, Massachusetts. And, and he was the, the quintessential gentleman. A lot of these people, Jack LaGoff and Neil Eyre and General Burton, they were gentlemen to the core and their whole focus was on the horse, the horse, the horse. And, and sometime I'd like to do an interview with you just about Jack LaGoff. The man was a genius. He was a genius. And the, the and people just don't know so that it saddens me and they, and they also people go oh yeah there used to be a long format but they don't know what long format means they don't know what it means and the hours that you had to spend getting fit for it yourself and your horse and and that's the history of our sport and so now when you when I go to these courses even at the upper levels and it's 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 a roll top and it's how, and it's how it's, there's variations on themes. Like there's lots and lots of houses and, and they're painted in different colors and, but it's still a house. It's still the same jump. It may be located on different terrain, but, but where are the road crossings? Where are the, you know, what, like what, how they compete in Europe? Why don't we, why has this disappeared? Because, it looks to me like people don't want to put the effort into teaching their horses how to do these things. I mean, I didn't have that stuff. I had to trailer places to learn, you know, and, and find the terrain and create it. I got people to help me. Let's build a jump here. Let's put a railroad tie on the edge of the lip of this road and pretend it's a fence. I mean, you, you know, you have to want it. I, I, and I would always make a lot of effort. I would call the event organizers and I'd say, what is on your course? what type of jumps do you have and what is your terrain like and then i would i would practice that you know i wouldn't just show up and go oh i don't know how to jump that i would <laughs> you have to prepare for these things it wow. takes a lot of effort mm-hmm. it's not a casual sport this is, i'm i'm sad to say i'm seeing people who are treating it that way this is an extreme sport even at the beginner novice level yeah
1: yeah it is it is it really is
0: Yes. Well, so, I think that
2: you know, I think that you know, when when legends like you speak, I think people listen, and hopefully, and you know, that's what this show's always been about. It's always been about, you know, the 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 up and comers, the legends, the current the current people at the top yep. of the sport. You know, the people behind the scenes. You know, uh, we've had yes. coaches, we've had course designers, course builders on. You know, we've had a lot, and and I think that that's what this what we try to do with this show is we try to maybe bring on some thought provoking guests and. And, uh, hopefully, you know, people, people go back and do the homework. Hopefully you come back and we can do that. Yeah, job that'd be fun. And we can talk about things like that. Cause <laughs> that's, um, that's, that would be awesome. <laughs> Cause yeah. I, I would love to learn more about, you know, the, the, how, how things were done back then. So
0: thank you. I would love to share. Oh, awesome.
2: So <laughs> as we, as we wind things down with this one, since we're definitely going to have a part two down yes. the road, oh, right, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> um, the, the, how do people follow along? Like the website or any other? You, know, you said there was the social media for the movie. How, how do people get in touch and how do people learn more?
0: Well, um, on the website. So, my website, so you can get there um, by either just typing in kimwalnuts.com or the name of my business is The Way of the Horse. So either one of those will take you to the website and on the website, on the homepage, there's a, a, if you scroll down, then there's a whole little thing about the mother goose project and they can, you know, there's links there. Okay. Awesome. Yes. And there's lots, lots and lots of pages that it's not finished yet. It's still a work in progress, but there's lots of stories. There's, you know, Gray's story and Gideon's story and, and my blogs just went up. So not all of them by any means, but the beginnings of them and, um so there's the people can have fun exploring there. That's good. Awesome.
2: Well, you know, I gotta be honest, I was I was a little stressing over this interview because you had so many fans contact us and oh. people a message and saying, Well, hey, you gotta mention this and yeah. do you know this. <laughs> mean, <laughs> and Kim, trust me, you have some hardcore fans. Um, <laughs> uh so I was a little bit nervous about this. Hopefully we did an okay job I and mean, we were going on an hour and a half of this interview. Yeah. And, wow. and um you know we obviously like i said Roy we could talk for for hours but hopefully we get to do more of these and um you know this gives us a chance to 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 talk to you again soon hopefully once covid breaks maybe we can even do one in person sometime. yeah that'd be, be fun.
0: fun oh so. that would be so cool yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that, that would we be so
2: to keep zooming right <laughs> no. Yeah. So awesome but karen was this fantastic this was
0: wonderful this This was was great
2: really really great so kim thank you so much for joining us this was super pleasure for us
0: it's been a real pleasure for me as well and much gratitude to all those fans who contacted you and and asked you to have me come so thank you
2: awesome and kim's in our group she's in the Vendors group so people who are fans and everything can always just go in the group and say hey kim Walness."
0: Yes. You'll be there. (laughs) Yeah. As long as tagged, I'll be there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be cool.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you again.
0: My pleasure. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, or your favorite podcast app. Cheers.